Listener Production. Shares, Market. the S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that promises not to go into default. I'm Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. He is Andrew Page from strawman.com. From doesn't even really justify it, does it, Andrew? You're not just from. You are strawman. You are the brains behind it. Strawman is your baby. This is the... This is the, the, the passion of your life. This is the, the thing you always wanted to do. You left the Motley Fool, and we still hate you for it. You, you created this thing called Strawman. You're now a multi-trillionaire. Um, <laughs> what is the best way to describe your, your, your life and, and Strawman these days? Mate, you are... Uh, good morning, by the way. Um, <laughs> you, are the, you are the king of hyperbole, I will say. It's just... It's brilliant. being the king of wishful thinking. Thank That's you, mate. I, uh, I, I, like to, I like to kind of keep it fresh, keep it real, keep it new. Sure, um, sure. You, you are from... Did, did you happen to see the... Um, the uh, description of last week's podcast? Well, I, I didn't until someone screenshotted it and tweeted it. <laughs> I think you wouldn't have seen it. I thought, I thought, well played was my first response. What was, so, the, what was the thing that was well played? So in the show notes summary, it, it started off with what is straw man? <laughs> is, that, is that there every week or am I, no, just, am no. I finding out about this? Or? I don't think you've literally never checked. No, because one of the <laughs> listeners actually, remember it was one of the questions we had from one of our listeners was firstly, what is straw man? I thought, well, the listener asked the question. It's a genuine question from a genuine <laughs> listener. Therefore, I can put it on the top of the show notes, which I then did just for my own amusement and hopefully the amusement of at least a couple other people that one is, person at least did, did hit us up and say well done so I did a, quali- I did a quality that. troll my friend uh, well played I can, <laughs> I can was, only tip my hat on Twitter yeah. Thank yeah, you. Well, it, was, well it was a bit of fun. A bit of fun. Um, <laughs> by the way, while we're here, if you are going to jump on the socials, we would love you to follow us. So let's do this now. Um, Fool, oh, sorry, again. Uh, I am TMF Scott P on Twitter and Insta. Uh, at the Motley Fool AU is our corporate account. Andrew is at Sage underscore Simeon and at Strawman Invest exclusively on Elon's Hell site. Uh, you can get me also on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Scott Phillips Money or. We'll get to this later. But if you have a mailbag question for Sunday or for a... Well, not for this Sunday. It'll be recorded by then. But if you have a question for us for any Sunday... And by the way, I'm having some holidays soon. So really, really keen to get many questions in if we can. We'll try and get some... Uh, we always try and get the episodes done regardless of whether we're here or not. So please do that. Uh, hit us up. Uh, info at fool.com.au is the email address as well. Uh, nice. mate, so I guess I guess all that's left to ask is uh, what what is Strawman? We're, we're a private online investment club. I would never have known. There you go. But um, a, a big week in finance this week. Mm. Uh, we've had some conference presentations from Glenn Stevens, the former RBA governor who rarely speaks these days. Um, there are continued concerns about US inflation, but everything new is old again. Everything old is new again because we're now again because politicians are just mad and obviously hate us. Talking again about the US debt ceiling, this ridiculous administrative debacle that is there in place because someone thought it was a clever political tool and neither party in opposition is prepared to get rid of it because they can whack the government of the day over it. Uh, and so it's just this charade, this circus that we keep going through. And well, it yet- was actually, it was like, I, no, I'll be a bit fairer than that. I think it was introduced way back in the day to sort of keep a, a, a check on Treasury to make sure that they just can't spend willy-nilly there's got to be some constraints yes you can spend more than this or borrow more than this but mm-hmm. it needs to be a- approved by a-, a separate arm of government just so that that I-, I i'm generally a fan of not concentrating too much power in any one area but you are 100 percent right it has become <laughs> a-, a political theater i i don't mind that defense mate it's probably fair except that anyone with a year eight 
well, whatever whatever grade it was back then, uh, education would know that setting a nominal debt ceiling in a growing economy, let alone inflation, inflation aside, a growing economy generally, a growing budget, I don't think any of them really thought, you know what, this will be enough and it won't be a problem. I, I Maybe they were naive. Uh, maybe I'll give them that. But uh, if, it, if they'd said, look, it can't be more than 23% of GDP or the budget deficit can't be more than X percent of government spending or something, I would have given them some credit for it. Setting yeah. a nominal number and saying, you know, it needs to be 13, 13 pounds and four, four shillings and tuppence. It's like, well, th- th- things were probably going to grow. I, I, I don't know. know. I, it's, it's insane. It's no, you're right. Of, you're right. Kind of the intent, I guess the intent, like Probably so right. many, it's the unintended consequences because yes. the actual intent was was a good one. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know oh, what drives- just it, screw it up. Go it on. just drives me crazy. We do this in so many different areas where yeah. we do it a certain way because we've just done it. We've always done it that way. Like change it. Yeah. We can, it's a human yeah. rule. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We created it. We can yeah. change yes. it, you yeah. know, and this is a classic example of that. Doesn't need to be there. But anyway, it is what it is. It is what Mm -hmm. it is. And they're up against it. And so the the long and short of it is they might not be able to pay their bills. They'll uh, default on their debt. Like, can you imagine that the the world's reserve <laughs> currency, <That's weird. laughs> the biggest you know economy in the world, just saying, you know, all that money that uh, you lent us, yeah. we're just not going to pay you back. And by the way, um, all you government employees, which I, I'm going to forget the exact mm-hmm. number, but it's mm-hmm. a significant portion of the yeah. federal budget. Is like you're not going to pay you from park rangers to bureaucrats. There, you know, everything through yeah. the system. It, it's. Yep. It's Most a big of Washington deal. DC is actually paid by the federal government because it's a special administrative mm-hmm. centre. It's not not a state; it's a district of Columbia. Um, yep. Literally, the, most of those are are federal government funded. A bit like the ACT, in part actually. Yeah. Um, part part of the ACT is the Canberra kind of you know territory government. The other part is the National Capital Authority. Um, same same kind of approach. Let's let's just break it down, mate, before we come back to it. So, effectively, mm-hmm. what Congress had said at some point in the past is debt may not exceed X dollars. I don't know what the current limit is. It doesn't really matter for our purposes. Quite a big uh, number. When, if you're running a deficit budget, and the, the stupid thing about this is you pass a budget, and this is why it's political theatre, right? When they passed the budget back in whenever, they knew, you know, the, the sequence of laws, every legislator knows that the net result of all of the spending we've just planned is that debt will increase. And the maths was going to be simple years ago that here was the, here was the trend. Here was the, how it was going to net out. Maybe it wasn't exactly May 2023. Maybe it was going to be June. Maybe it was going to be April. Maybe it was going to be August if you're really, really lucky. But it was going to be some in some, in some way, shape or form. If you're running a deficit budget, you're going to increase the amount of debt you have. That was always going to hit a ceiling, the, the self-imposed debt ceiling. At that point, the US government is not allowed to borrow more money to pay the deficit. So they've got spending plans and revenue plans and like you or I, if we had our credit card limit, it's like, well, we have to kind of stop spending then or if the revenue, maybe they get a little bit of extra revenue coming in, but you know, effectively, that's it. The bank says, you can't borrow any more money. Not only, and here's the challenge, not only does it mean you can't pay the workers as you've already highlighted, but you can't pay the interest on some of your debt because you're relying on effectively, and this is strange itself, you're taking on more debt to pay the interest on the debt a little bit because of the way that the, the sheer cash in, cash out thing works. And so that's, that's how we get to this point. That's why it's a risk of default. It's not because the US um, chooses not to pay the debt or the debt itself isn't being fork- isn't being provided. And it's not even they don't, well, some don't want to, some do want to. It's not the US isn't capable of paying the debt in any other way except that Congress won't, as you said, let Treasury 
actually pay those bills because it would go over this this paper number, this this you know mm-hmm. black ink on white paper number they've written. As well, if it goes over that, we can't pay the bills. There is something kind of a bit bizarre about that, mate. Of you know, we, well, they have the capacity to. They've just said in a separate law, the other laws, all the other laws combined say spend all this money, and this one law says yeah, but don't, which mm-hmm. I think is also a bit. I, I'm not even sure how that's even kind of internally consistent, but it is what it is. Yeah. Um, and here and here we go now. Let's get to the default bit because tell me or tell listeners why would it matter if the US for a period of time I assume not forever but I guess possible forever you know if the range of maybe Congress never passes an increase to the debt ceiling and maybe this continues forever by definition but probably isn't uh, so on the first of whatever month the interest payments are due you've got to pay your bondholders and the US says um, Andrew and, and uh, Australian Super and you know the Kalpers Pension Fund and everyone else you know how we were supposed to give you that, that coupon that, that, that uh, interest payment well we're not going to pay you yeah. What what is that why does that matter? Why is it a big deal? I mean it's obviously to some people it is a big deal but but kind of go through for us why it's a big deal, mate. It's a huge deal. I mean, it's it's I don't want, I don't want to use the term existential and, and speaking of being hyperbolic. But if you really want to get back to first principles here, the whole damn system runs on trust. Mm-hmm. It runs on trust. That's all it is. I trust that the US government will manage its economy pretty well. Mm. And and that the money will be managed pretty well, and I can transact in mm. this. I can mm. store my wealth in this. It's, it's a, that's what that's what money does. Yeah. And when that trust goes, that means that for the U.S. to borrow money in the future will be much mm. more difficult. It's like if I lend you a bunch of money and you stop paying me back, I just I'm going to be very yeah. reluctant to lend you any <laughs> more yeah, next time. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. And if I do lend you yeah. money, it's going to be on much much worse terms. I'm going to mm. demand a much higher interest rate. There is a reason that the Argentinian peso isn't the global reserve currency. No <laughs> one trusts one, it. Yeah, no one exactly. trusts it, right? And for good yeah, reason, yeah, because yeah. it just it just has, you know, hyperinflationary periods because they print money like all buggery. And and so this is this is the core of of what it's mm. all about. Once that mm. trust is is broken, the US will find that it's it it very rapidly accelerates probably what we're already in, which is a debt spiral, mm. because the the cost of borrowing will just go through the roof, um, and it it will probably precipitate or catalyze a, a, a shift to some other form of international mm. um, transaction settlement, because no one no one has, it loses credibility at that mm. point, which mm. is why so many people are saying, look, at the end of the day. When all the song and dances had, they'll just raise it, <laughs> and they have to. Yeah, they have yeah. to do it because it it is so massive a, a, a thing, and that's why I'm I'm in the I'm firmly in the camp of they 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 will do it. They won't default, and now I'm going to speak out the other side of my mouth, which is they absolutely <laughs> will default. It's just that there's a difference between what you call a hard default and a soft default. It's like a hard landing and a soft landing, you know. <laughs> um, so a hard default is, as you say, we just don't pay you. Right, that, yep. that is very real. The other form of default, which they have to, because this is the choice, one of the two, right? The other default is, well, we'll just issue a bunch of bonds. The Federal Reserve will buy it with free, freshly printed money. Mm-hmm. We dilute the currency holders, right, right, and right. and we default in that way. And 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 so basically, we all lose purchasing power. That, that's yep. what will happen. And it's it's politically, it's very, very, very difficult because on one hand, you would just say. Guys, stop it. You're living beyond your means. Pull yeah. back on spending or raise taxes. 
and that's just impo- it's 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 not impo- it's very doable but it's politically impossible mm. so it, it feels to me – I mean, this is the thing Stan, – Stanley Druckermiller is an investor I'm quite fond of. He's got an – Google him. Like, he's got an incredible track record. Mm, yes, yeah. Makes very substantial bets. Renowned for changing his mind rapidly and right, in a okay. 180 – which I, I we talk, a lot of people are not, uh, hate. I, I love it. I love the flexibility in his, his, flank, in, in his thinking. Anyway, he's, he's, he's made some big, big sort of statements recently on, on how bad things are. And, and the argument mm. is – it's just math, as the Americans say. We'd say it's maths, <laughs> but it's just math. And 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 that there, there's not an opinion in here. It's like you said before. <laughs> they knew that the debt ceiling was going yeah. to be breached, not yeah. because there was any clairvoyance in there. Just do the maths, right? You're mm. spending more than, mm. you, than than you than you're taking in. Uh, there's a certain limit you're up against. It, it, it is as it is as light, night follows day predictable. So this is this we are we are living through fascinating times and as we've said before there is really no nice path out of this. So I don't know grab the popcorn folks it's going to be interesting. <laughs> Except that uh, we're not exactly bystanders, right? Because whatever happens to the US happens to the world's economy yeah. for, for better or worse. Yeah, it's it's, it's a serious I mean, look, there there is I think we, we, with as investors, we look at things like recessions and the rest of it and think, wow, that's mm-hmm. really scary end of the world kind of stuff. And yet we tend to, when we do have them, they tend to be far less damaging than the, than the um, they, they tend to do far less damage than is made in the good times. And we all sort of continue on our way. So it's not, it's not like, you know, grab a shotgun and a packet of seeds <laughs> and a tent and run and run for the hills. Mm. But it is, it is as we've often said, this whole economy thing, economics thing we talk about, it's just us as society interacting mm. with each other. And we're just doing it in, a, in an increasingly fragile, unsustainable way. And someone has to pay the piper <laughs> at the end of the day. It's unavoidable. And I think we'll all, we'll all collectively suffer as a result. So we've gone a little bit away from the specific current default Circumstance. Sorry, mate. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. I, I, I think it's a really good conversation. I, I want to bring it back to to kind of the now or the what or the how because uh, I I actually think this is my suspicion. Mate. I'm I'm generally less. Um, I was going to say less at something. I was going to put a word after it. It makes it sound like I was contrasting with you. I'm not. I, I, I'm generally pretty sanguine about most of these things for two reasons. One is they'll sort it out because they need to sort it out because they need to sort it out. I think blowing up the US government, blowing up the, the, you know, the, the trust and full faith of the US government is not something that any lawmaker in the US is going to eventually do. They'll argue it. They're, they're playing, they're playing it. It's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a game of, um, of who blinks first. You yeah. know, the Democrats trying to get the Republicans to do it, the Republicans trying to get the Democrats to do it. They'll both push as far as I think they can, and yeah. then they'll come to a deal. So I, I don't think it's going to happen. I would say, Matt, actually, in the short term, even if there was a technical default, I am going to say to you, I think nobody cares and nothing happens. And the reason I say that is because, as you say, if Argentina defaults, you're like, yeah, it defaults for really, really significantly, like, you know, country blowing up, hyperinflation, like reasons that are that are untenable and unrecoverable in any sort of reasonable time frame. Mm. If the US misses a debt payment on the 1st of July and pays it on the 14th of July, everyone's like, well, that's really annoying, guys. Like, you idiots. But it's, you're still the US government. And, you know, is it really going to cost any more to get the money? Probably not. Because it's not going to really default in the sense of you are never, ever, ever getting paid. We're just choosing not to pay you. Which, you know, people have done 
again, some of the third world countries, I think even Russia did at one point, just like we're not, we, we're, just, we're going to refuse to admit that that debt exists. We're going to just ignore it and pretend it's not there. That's mm. the hard default you're talking about. I think in this case, I really, really am not even slightly concerned. I might be massively too, um, too phlegmatic about it, but I really don't. I, I just think, you know, whatever happens, the US doesn't stop being the world's reserve currency as a result. The US economy doesn't fail as a result. People still look around and go, well, who else do I lend to? Uh, maybe I get paid late, but at least I get paid because it's the US. So, mm. they, you know, I just, I, I'm just not sure. I'm really, really not sure it matters. And I think, could it? Yes, absolutely. But if your job is to think probabilistically, the chance of it happening are, are small. The chance of it being even, even slightly impactful over any medium term, six months, 12 months, I think is exceedingly small. Is that just too optimistic? Too, uh, uh, am I being too kind? Am I not worrying enough? I think I think you're right in the short term, but it's, it, it, this is where it gets tricky: is being specific with with predictions. Yeah, I mean, right. it's sort of again, the maths is the maths is the maths. So I don't, yeah, yeah I, I, I it, the the network effect of the US dollar is pretty strong, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, yeah, I yeah, I can't yeah. see it being replaced. I agree with all of that; it won't be replaced anytime soon. Mm-hmm. But it, it directionally, it is it is. I think it is just a statement of fact to say it's it's unsustainable. Right. So, yeah, you're right. It's not like it just all ends on a given date and then it's Mad Max Fury Road kind of world. But, mm-hmm. but it, <laughs> exactly. We're heading to, we're driving towards a cliff at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just, so, and I, I do think it ultimately is it a cliff does. Or is, it just, is it just treacle? I mean, I, I, the cliff suggests that there's something that blows up at some point. I mean, there are, there are, there are circumstances and there are consequences. Yeah. I'm not sure if, it's, if a cliff is the right. Because I take your point. There is, there is real concern. Now, I don't think it's as inevitable as you do, but I think it's probably the most likely path. And I think, but I think we get through it by, by running through treacle rather than hitting a cliff and things blowing up and breaking to the point of unrecognizable Mad Max Fury Road to your point. No, it'll be a re- it'd point. be a reset. So again, it's, it, it, it would look, history is again, a very useful um, uh, instructor here. Mm-hmm. And we've seen this kind of over the long arc of history, we've seen this story play out. And generally yeah. what happens is it goes in one direction, but it plays out over decades. Yeah. So in our day-to-day timeframe, it does feel as though, well, it's just not going to happen. But it, <laughs> yeah, it, right. again, it does. And it tends to be a, a, uh, a gradually then suddenly kind of phenomenon. Like mm-hmm. it just, it, until yeah. you sort of reach that point where enough people just really do lose enough faith and credibility in, in the system where it, yeah. it just things, yeah. things move very, very rapidly from there. And that could be 20 years out. So this is, right, right, this, right. this is, so uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not moving all to gold or anything like <laughs> that. But I feel as though the most likely scenario is, unless there is some structural change in it, is that mm. we just basically have very high rates of inflation. Um, and I'm not hyperinflation, hopefully, but that's, that's <laughs> certainly possible. But, you know, it's, it's going to yeah, be sort yeah. of like yeah. up a single digit kind of. I feel yeah. as though that's, and, and that's actually, not that anyone would say the quiet part out loud. That's kind yeah. of the desirable outcome here. Because What's how you these things get fixed without, 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 without genuine breakages? Yep. That is how these things get resolved. That's how they get resolved, you know. But again, yeah. we, all, we all get made poorer as a result uh, of it. So, and unfortunately, I just make the – I know I make it mm-hmm. all the time, but I'll make it before. It's, it's the least able to absorb the pain that, that cop it. Because generally, if you've got your money in, in good quality assets – in inflationary periods, 
um, they tend to do pretty well. When I say do well, they, they, they go up in nominal terms. Like, oh, look how well I've done. In purchasing power terms, they just basically preserve the purchasing power, which is a great outcome in an, in an inflationary environment, right? So if, you're, if you've got a bit of money, you're sort of the upper 30, 40%, and you've got some of these assets, it's kind of like it's a sucky in situation for all, but at least at least as the, as the money is being inflated away, your assets sort of match up with that. Those that don't have assets, property, shares, everything else, they just, they just get pushed to the wall. And this is, why, this is why, generally speaking, when you look at very serious social and political upheavals, there's usually an economic re- reason for them. You don't revolt until what you stand to lose is more than what you stand to keep. That, yep. that's, that's why the Western societies very rarely do this because, you know, other than meaningful, meaningful numbers of massively under, what's the right word? That's not underclass, that's a, that's a horrible word. But you know what I mean? When, when there's large enough groups of people who are getting screwed, they'll do it because they think, well, what have I got to lose? Yeah. It's, it's, when, it's when the, the what, have I got to, what have I got to lose group becomes large enough. That's yep. when you end up with those sort of revolts. And that's, and that's when you end up with populist leaders. I mean, this yes. is what we are seeing. Everything we are seeing now is you can draw a direct line to the GFC, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Which you can draw a direct line to post dot com stimulatory measures, mm-hmm. which you can draw a direct line from, the, you know, it just the it, history is it said is just one damn thing after another, right? <laughs> and you can, and you can sort of, that's a fun line. You can, you can, you can um, trace it all back to this why we got Trump, it's why we got Johnson, you know, it's, it, the, this is this is where it becomes, yeah, pretty scary. Uh, I think, and this is this is why the debt ceiling shenanigans, I think, are actually more interesting mm. this time. If interesting is the right word, scary <laughs> is that in the past we've had the political theatre and then yeah. cooler heads and rationality has sort of prevailed, but now you've got people in the you know Democrats or Republicans who are just happy to watch the world burn because they're, there's some pretty serious ideologues within each camp here. And, and the world has just moved in that direction. So whereas there was a lot more bipartisanism uh, at a, at a, in a former age, <laughs> and there's not now. And I could, I mean, it's not impossible that, that someone was like, I, I, look, this is going to be really bad news. But me personally, politically, in my agenda, my ideology, this might actually serve a purpose. And I, I can almost see that kind of stuff happening. Well... I'm pretty depressed. Should we finish it here? No, I'm kidding. I, I, um, I, yeah, I mean, I guess the, the question is, the, 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 here's the hard part of it, right? So you can sort of talk about it, I don't know, intellectually or whatever, but what do I actually do as an investor? Right, well, that's, exactly, exactly. That's the hard, that is the really hard question um, with all of this. So what, what do you do? Hmm. I, I think it, well, not an easy question, right? No, it, it, but it also it also does depend a little bit on how you think it plays out or what you're prepared to prepare for. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and you've kind of already answered the question. I am someone who is shamelessly je- trying to create as much personal wealth for myself and my family as I can. Because when people say, "Why do you invest?" the answer for me is freedom of choice. Mm-hmm. And I can do things that I don't rely on a job for. Not that I don't love my job, I do, and I hope to be here for a very long time. Um, but it gives me it gives me optionality, it gives me choice, it gives me it gives me comfort. And those things that that's why I invest, right? It's why I don't need to be a squillionaire. Um, once I've once I've replaced my income, I'm like, well, that's kind of that's enough, you know. And that doesn't mean I won't keep saving. I'll probably hopefully give some more money away and other things. But you know, that that's that's the first point. And I guess why I say that is because I'm shamelessly doing both at the same time. I have. 
<laughs> it frustrates some, hopefully not too many. I, I go way outside my remit on Twitter, for example, right? I comment on, on the, um, I won't say politics because I tend not to, but policy and not just, you know, policy on things that make me richer, but genuine contributions, hopefully, that sounds a bit wanky, but you know, contributions to broader conversations where I think we can be a better society. Now, I'm doing both those things at the same time, which is why I would say, for example, I would benefit from stage three tax cuts. I don't think stage three tax cuts is a good idea. Those, those two things can be true. It's not often enough you see people who say, I would benefit from X, but it's bad. Mm. And I'm, 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 no, I'm no saint, I'm no angel. I'm not giving, I'm, if I get the money, I'll probably invest it. I won't give it back. You know, I'll take the tax cut. Um, I think you said the same thing last week. But the, 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 the reality is I think you can do both. So mm. long answer to your question. Because, so firstly, I, I continue to amass um, whatever capital I can by saving as much as I reasonably can without you know, wrecking my quality of life because you've know, you got to live while you do it. So I'm not, I'm not one of those absolute frugal, you know, living on toast so I can put an extra $1.50 in, in, the, in the investing account. Uh, but I'm not doing anything stupid either. So I'm trying to you know, put money aside. I'm trying to grow my wealth. Um, but where are you putting that money? One. Where are you putting that money? Well, I think that's, I mean, that, I, I, I got to say to you, I don't invest with a lens of I need to be ready for the Armageddon scenario. So really, honestly, I'm probably the wrong person to ask given the, given mm. the where you finish your comment because I don't really, maybe maybe blindly, maybe not, uh, I don't think, yeah, you know, the old saying, I think it's a Morgan Housel one, more money is lost preparing for the next crash than in the next crash. Peter Lynch. You know, it's Peter, Peter Lynch. Peter Lynch. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've, heard, I've heard Housel say I that. Used, okay. I used it the Thank other you. day. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So the, the, the and and honestly, that, honestly, that's my you know I, I am not trying to I am trying to create wealth through productive assets. Generally speaking, thus far that's been shares. Could it be property at some point? Yes, probably. Um, I don't imagine myself ever you know buying cropland like Buffett or Bill Gates. <laughs> Anything's possible. Um, but you know, I, so that that's that's the honest answer, mate. I'm not mm. preparing for hyperinflation. I'm not preparing specifically for a high inflation environment. I have always though. Um, tried to invest in businesses that have pricing power and benefit, not benefit from, can, can withstand higher inflation environments by definition. I think, I wrote the other day, mate, you can, you can, the easiest way to maximize your upside is to pick the longest shot you can find that's gonna pay you a squillion to one, because if it's right, you make a fortune. Mm. If, you, if you said, how, how do I, how, what, what's, what bet would maximize my upside is that one? Except if you then said, well, but on the range of probabilities, <laughs> if you look at expected value, i.e. what's the chance of that happening, then you do something very different. So mm. the honest answer to you is, I have not made a single investment based on a macro factor, including, but not, not only, what might happen with inflation, what might happen with, with debt ceilings or defaults. I mm. am buying great businesses that I think will be bigger and better in 5, 10, 15 years. That's, that's just literally what I do. Mm-hmm. So that's my, that's my approach. So it's not a direct answer to your question as to what do you do about this thing because um, I'm not as worried about the thing relative to the money I might, you know, if I, if I can, we know money doubles every seven years, right? If you, if you get 10% a year, the rule is 72. Now, if I can, maybe it's not 10% a year, but you know what I mean. If it's 20 years away, well, okay, I can double and double and double again. That's a, that's a pretty nice hedge against what it becomes next, right? If I end up with eight times my money by then, well, I can afford for that to drop, but I've still got four times my money. So, so honestly, I think rather than, you know, we talk about preparing, not predicting. That, that's my answer. What's yours? Mine's actually remarkably similar. I'm, okay. I, yeah, I think that's an excellent answer. Be, be back to the point of the, the productive enterprises. Scarce mm. quality access assets just tend to be very resistant to inflation. So I don't invest. I don't wholesale shift my approach because of looming macro factors. 
But I, as you say, prepare, not predict. So it's just, I, I'd like to, th I mean, I've got some pretty spicy things in my portfolio. Let's, let's be honest. <laughs> uh, go into that. Why? But I, I, I generally think some, some, that is just always a lens that, you, that, that you look, mm. that you look through. Mm. Um, on top of that though, I think a couple other comments, I think there are, there are, a couple of features that you might want to be more biased towards if, yeah, okay. if this is something that's worrying you. I think very strong balance sheets are a must. Yep. You know, the companies that get wiped out or effectively wiped out just through dilution and that are those that, that just, you know, get, yeah. th th get wiped out because of the, the, their debt load or they can't service it, they need to raise cash, all these horrible things happen. And so I think that's, that's a must. You want a business that, as you say, has a degree of sort of pricing power and reliability with, with cash flows. I think that's another mm -hmm. very, very strong um, uh, protection mechanism. Um, <clears throat> I don't like the idea of, and this is well, it's not as, well, maybe it's not controversial isn't the right word, but I know it's going to rub a lot of people <laughs> the wrong way. Um, Go on. Uh, it, you hate that. You, you, it's a sort of like who never, never wants to cause offence, which I like about you, mate. I was the MC for the ASA, the Showing Shareholders Conference last week. Oh, nice. Enjoy and yeah, go. um, gold came up there. And, and gold is the natural go-to during these mm. sort of times. Mm. And you can buy physical gold. You can buy a gold ETF. You can buy a gold miner. You can get exposure in, in all kinds of different ways. Mm. But it feels as though that narrative is gaining a bit of traction. Mm. And I... Uh, you notice there's been a lot of takeover activity in the gold mining space yeah. recently yeah. too, um, which seems it seems to me as though the trouble with that strategy. It, it, to your earlier point, if the if you're buying this gold company because you feel as though it's got good prospects, good cash flow, all that fine, to, to, you know, knock yourself out. If mm -hmm. you're if you're got a particular near term macro worry, and this is the way that you protect. Or or or, or um, cover yourself <laughs> yeah. for that worry. I just I don't think it works too well because the narratives can change very very quickly, and it's not exactly a, a, a straight line between what you're trying to protect for and what you're actually holding as well. Mm -hmm. So very counterintuitive kinds of things tend to happen with all of that. Um, so yeah, I, I I guess I would. I wanted to touch on gold because it naturally mm -hmm. comes up in this conversation. Yes, I don't think yes. you or I are either big gold bugs. No. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I, I just, I just don't tend to, it, it tends to require a bit of a timing element to it. And, and that's my issue with macro generally is you, you, even you said when you're trying to bet against short-term macro, it's like that, that, that in and of itself is, is not exactly an oxymoron, but that, that's the hard part. Even before you say, and therefore I will. So yeah. no, no, go back, go back to the, go back to the starting point. My view on the short-term macro is, so I'm going to, it's like, just stop it. My view on the short-term macro is and say, you yeah. don't know. I don't know. No one knows. Uh, I, I, which is exactly your point, right? Which is, you know, trying to time this stuff and get it right. Yeah. Um, and that's back to Lynch's thing about more money lost. He doesn't mean lost as in, as in literally share prices going down, although sometimes yeah. on a hedge you can lose money. He just means opportunity. opportunity. Right. Right. Yeah. It's massive. Yeah. So, uh, I, well, I'll tell you the one investment I wouldn't hold. Yeah. Cash. Like, yeah, right. Not on your Nelly. If I've got yeah. if I've got something that I need in the next year, or something, that's a different mm, story. Mm, mm. I'll, I'll happily wear the five, six, seven percent loss that I will take on that physical yeah. cash <laughs> in real terms because of that optionality. But anything mm, mm. beyond that, I think I know. I've actually got a, a friend who's he's his partner had a very 
um, got scammed essentially financially. He's just oh. very skeptical of all of this kind of stuff. So he just puts it all yeah. in cash. He earns good oh. income and the rest of it. And it's just like, yeah. dude, I get, I get your experience yeah. and yeah. the rest of it, yeah. but that is like the dumbest investment for someone who's still got 30 years left on this earth at least, you know, yeah. you are going to find that your the, the loss you bear there is, is, is phenomenal. So I would not leave it in, in cash. And, and it doesn't feel like much, but even if it was 4% annual inflation, mm. you know, roll that forward three, four, five years, you are, you have significantly <laughs> kneecapped yourself. So I would, yes. I would, Definitely not hold cash. I think bonds, the world has has, has probably learned. Well, no, it hasn't. What am I saying? The world world has not (laughs) learned. Correct. But the the premium A-grade alpha uh, apex predator of of (laughs) risk-free being um, government bonds, I I think that has been revealed to be actually no. That's not Mm – short, very short-dated – ones potentially, but anything, yeah. if I was, I, I, you couldn't, you could point a gun to my head. I am not putting my money in like a five-year US treasury. It's just like, I don't know what's going to happen over that period of time. And I'm not that because I'm worried of any hard default, but it's just sort of, look at the US, UK gilts, you know, that's like the it's, best, they call it paper, the best quality paper on the planet. And we've had pension funds and very large investors where 30, 40% drawdowns in very short spaces of time. So again, I, I, I think they are, I think they are something I would avoid like the plague as well. High quality, scarce assets. Mm. That's what you want. Yeah. I, I think we've talked, and we've talked before about, you know, the, it's a nice, a nice reminder, just going a little bit broader, but also, you know, just kind of not going too far from the topic. When you buy debt, when, in other words, when you're lending money to the government and getting a fixed return, that's the most you'll ever get. Now, yeah. you'll also get no nominal loss of capital unless we do have a hard default, which is, again, as long as you're buying it from a reasonable government, it's not going to happen. Yeah. But the money can be eroded away. And so you say, well, hang on, my maximum upside is what, 2 3 4%? And yes, you'll get your $100 back, but if that $100 is worth 90 or 80 or 70 by the time you get it back because of inflation, mm. you've actually gone backwards, as you said, mate, in real terms. And, and some people will say, yeah, but at least I know I'm getting $100. And I, and I get that. Um, this is definitely a Morgan Hauselism, uh, which is, uh, you know, the biggest risk might be not taking enough risk, which is exactly that point, right, of your mate with cash in the bank or people who buy bonds. It's just, it's, and by the way, mate, this is not even a new, um, not that you're not smart. This is not a new observation. Right? If you go back, I've said this a million times, though not for a while. Look up the Vanguard index chart. This time not to look at the compound returns for shares, but do that. But also look at look at bonds. I mean, there are some times when bonds do fine because circumstances serve, but the simple reality is if the maximum return you're going to get is some low single-digit percentage, and that's the maximum you're going to get, compared mm-hmm. to the long-term returns from almost anything else and potentially the chance you get lapped by inflation. I, I've, people say to us all the time, what bonds should you hold or you know, the kind of conservative portfolio stuff. I've never, ever, ever said throw some bonds in. I just think, I think it's crazy. I think it's not... And not because not I expect... This is the other thing, mate. It's not even... I, <laughs> What's interesting is we are re, again, to your point about no one learns, we are relearning the same lessons of, of years ago, but not even because we're learning them more significantly because we're in a really weird environment with high rates and massive inflation, but even just moderate inflation of back to the 80s and 90s inflation, you know, you get to that point of like, so hang on, I'm not really actually making much. And this is, this was never new. This is why bonds have never been part of my portfolio. I'm not selling them now because, oops, look at inflation. Gee, lucky I, I timed that beautifully and sold them just in time. I've never, ever, ever, ever held bonds. And the numbers are really clear. You just don't get anything like the returns you get on equities. Be diversified, of course, all that stuff. Really, really important. Don't buy one, don't compare one bond and one company shares. But over, the, over, the, over time, if you compare to all corporate bonds or all government bonds to all companies in the share market rolled together, it's just a no-brainer. Yep. You might get, <laughs> a bit doom and gloomy, but you might be forced <laughs> to hold bonds 
Um, yep. one, of the, one of the mechanisms that governments tend to employ in these situations is what they call financial repression. Mm. So what they do is, is, I mean, when you talk about the big money, like here in Australia to be super and yep. insurance company floats and the rest of it, they'll just mandate that you have to hold a certain percentage in, in bonds. It, ha- it happened all, a lot in history, very recently too, in a lot of places as well. And it's done sort of under a nationalistic kind of guise and, and the rest of it. But I, I suspect that, that for uh, a lot of money, they will just mm. be mandated to, particularly in the US. And it's actually been, again, the quiet part's been said out loud by a number of representatives there. It's kind of, it, it won't be done, it, it'll be done like you've got to support the country here. Yeah. Who, do, you, are, you, are you anti-American? Yeah. War bonds kind of stuff. And, yeah. and again, I know I, it's really hard for me to say this without feeling like a crazy person because it's so outside of our- Oh, well, this is making their own judgment. Mate. Oh, yeah, man. But look, I, <laughs> it's outside of our lived experience, but I really think as an investor, you know, we love to read like finance and investing books and the rest of it, but history is just really, really informative, you know, and-, and uh, um, there's a great, there's an, a, a Scottish economist I really like called Russell Napier who talks quite a bit about this as well and, and already seeing it in parts of you. Remember, remember the whole pigs thing from yes. a decade Portugal, or so Portugal, Ireland, Italy, Greece and Spain, yeah. P-I-I-G-S. Yeah, yeah remember uh, the, uh, uh, the situation with uh, Greeks defaulting, all, that kind of, all this kind of stuff happened around then, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> Western modern economies you know, so it's sort of, it's, it's really wild, but I guess each to their own. And this is none of this mm. is people know as financial ad- investment advice, but yep. yeah, I'm not holding cash any more than I just sort of need for day to day and accounting for the sort of the near term. I'm certainly not holding any bonds. <laughs> no I feel way. a bit like John Howard, you know, he famously said the times will suit me. And yeah. I got to say, and not, I've, I've, I guess my point is I've changed nothing, right? I've never held cash because I just, I hate the idea, not even again because of inflation necessarily, I just hate the idea the market's going to go up over time more than it goes down. And so statistically, every dollar I hold in cash is a dollar that I am not getting a return from. And statistically, I'm, that, that's a bet against my fundamental view, which the market will go up over time. Statistically, yeah. I'm better off holding, ca- holding shares than cash, even if sometimes the shares go down after I buy them. Because over time, the, you know, if I'm adding money regularly, statistically, I'm far, far better having that money invested than not. So, uh, again, I, you know, I've always been a pricing power guy. I've always been a good balance sheet guy. I've always been a, you know, don't hold any, almost any cash. Um, I've got a little bit from time to time because it's, it's between investments, but not for any strategic reason, just for kind of laziness and didn't get around to it and whatever. Um, so, I, I'm, I, I, again, this is, and this is, I think that's almost my point, right? Like, you know, generally speaking, whether or not you're right, whether things are worse or better than you expect, you personally, in this case, I'm talking about because you've, you know, your thoughts you've just shared. Um, generally speaking, good investment is actually the best antidote either way, and it actually probably doesn't even matter whether your concerns come true or not. In the sense that, statistically, again, historically, it's still the best way to invest. That, that's the beauty of this. You don't have to take a a massive bet on if I'm right, I'm, I'm right. If I'm wrong, I'm terrible. It's like this is just gonna probably be good either way. You know, I think that's a that's a really important thing to remember as well. hundred oh, percent, man. And 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 I think what's again looking backwards can be informative mm-hmm. here. We've we've only recently come out of a very long period of very benign inflation. Yeah. Um, really, we've talked about it before, it really astounded a lot of people how we didn't see inflation rear its ugly head sooner. Yes. But just to sort of prove the point of how quickly things change, even since, yep. I just, just looking at a US inflation calculator now, so <laughs> between 2018 and 2023, so in five years, you've lost 20% of your purchasing power. Yeah. In 10 yeah, years, right. you've lost 40%. 
You know, you go back to the to the to the start of it all, and you've lost ninety nine percent. You know, yeah. it is it is a it is not an investment, <laughs> and it's certainly not a store of wealth. Um, so just just you do with that information what you will. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Mate, um, let's move on to something very, very, very different. Um, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's interesting. So uh, I got a, a message from someone, and I've got to say, mate, I'm desperately trying to find it. I can't, so I've obviously done something to it. Um, but it was one of our listeners who sent through... Uh, here we go. Max on Twitter. G'day, Scott. If you have time to check this out, all the best. It's not a question. We're not doing mailbag. Don't get me wrong. It's a link to a Twitter account known as the GPT Portfolio. And there's a quote from CNN, someone on CNN, ChatGPT can pick stocks better than top fund managers. So the tweet goes on from, from the GPT portfolio account. So we gave it $50,000 of our own money to manage and we are sharing the results here. The fund officially went live today and it's already outperforming the S&P 500. Here are the set of stocks it picked and it goes on to do that sort of stuff. Uh, are investors in, da- in any danger, mate, of, of being, are we, are we out of a job in a couple of years' time? Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> it's, I, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not going to dismiss that threat. <laughs> and I've said right. before, I think it's, it, this is what's so interesting, exciting slash scary about the technology is <laughs> just how broadly <laughs> applicable it is. Like I yeah, struggle yeah. to think, you know, hairdressers, you know, <laughs> plumbers, they're like people who do stuff with their hands, <laughs> um, uh, you know, are, are probably the best placed. Um, yes. anyone who does any kind of thinking slash writing, I think, I think, that, that sounds real. I didn't mean to say it like that. I think obviously other, all vocations require thinking, but I mean when it's it's purely a sort of a desk job kind of thing. I know what you mean. You know what I mean? I just want to make yes. sure I avoid any uh, yeah, a doubt there. If, um, if, all, if all you're doing is using, right, if the majority of your work is the thinking work and a yeah. computer can do it better, faster, more efficiently, cheaper than you can, then you're in the gun. Yeah, I think I think we definitely have to worry about. It. And again, it's mm. it's not that a computer will take your job in the short to medium term. It's a it's a mm. human who's really good at, at partnering with an AI that will take your job. That's the thing to 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 remember here. So I mean, I wouldn't put too much credence in what's come out so far. I mean, I could come yeah. up with any strategy, yeah. and <laughs> some of them are bound to outperform yeah. in in the short term. So you'll want to see a little bit of time uh, pass. But I won't yeah. be surprised. I mean, people will be, or people will be, people are building mm. all kinds of different models. And when we we look back in ten years' time, I'm sure we'll see a bunch that have that have done really well, a bunch that haven't done really well. Mm. Um, uh, I don't think it'll ever get to a stage where the computers just crack it because they are they are dealing literally with chaotic systems here that just mm. by definition can't be predicted. It's it's too too many factors going into it. It's 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 multifactorial. It's just mm. very messy. And a lot of stuff is just sort of extremely subjective and not hard data. So, you know, the unknown unknowns, no no computer, no matter how smart, will be able to predict <laughs> sort of th- those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm worried. I'm worried. I, I, I just, I've, I've made the point to you, I think, in a previous pod where it's just like, imagine doing exactly what you do now except that you've got, you know, an army of really um, great analysts that never sleep and don't need to be paid <laughs> or, don't, you know, pay paid cents per hour. And it might be that you're doing the same thing that you're doing now. It's just that what you might have taken you two weeks of research, you will accomplish in an afternoon. Right. Hey, hey, auto GPT investor bot, go find for mm-hmm. me every ASX company that meets these criteria. 
boom, and it's back. All right, get rid of the ones that don't do this. Bang. You know, just now you could, you've always been able to do that just with a lot of yes. reading and, yes. <laughs> and keeping notes and, all, and you know, entering and things frankly, in the data. There are supercomputers that fund managers have to do that already anyway. Yeah, already, yeah. They've got models we, already mean, set up. Yeah. We, we use a tool at, at the full. It's uh, standard poor product called Capital IQ. We can do, you can screen for all of these things currently. By giving it the right instructions, so it's it's not necessarily new yet, <laughs> and it can be done now. It's certainly much much more broadly available. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, what these what they what this tech will might do that is different, rather than just mm. being faster and more efficient, it might. Mm. And this is where it sort of seems to have a strength, which is it might be good at finding connections that we previously mm. didn't see. It turns out that. Companies that exhibit these, this, and this characteristic tend to do really well, like well beyond the, the, the you know, probabilistically well beyond the just chance alone. Mm. The, things that people have never connected before. Yeah. Um, and so let's say that happens. So, but the thing is that's wild. Like, let's say that that happens. Again, Mark, this is what markets do. If, if there is uh, an informational edge to be exploited, it will mm. be. And the act of exploitation will will render the arbitration opportunity useless because it will become it it will become more widely known, or even just the act of just prosecuting it and buying here mm-hmm. and selling there according to this tends to nullify that stuff. So maybe we all level up to a point where if you don't have um, some kind of AI assistance, you're just out of the race or, or, or mm-hmm. altogether. But it is competitive. So where someone finds an edge, others will will copy. And, and, and so on and so forth. And the arms race kind of continues. So there will always be opportunity for outperformance. There'll always be the, the, the potential to underperform. But I, I do think it changes the, gra- the game to some degree. Just as the internet, I mean, through our lifetime, mm. right? Think yes, about yes, through our yes. lifetime, before we get to any of this super high-tech sci-fi kind of stuff, I mean, you've you've made mentioned on the pod before. I used to get reports mailed to you like a yeah, caveman, exactly. right? That's right. And you'd yeah, enter yeah. things diligently into Excel into spreadsheet. Excel, correct. Excel probably three or whatever it was at the time. Exactly. Yeah, no, no. You don't need to do yeah. any of that kind of stuff now, right? Yeah, like it's yeah, just yeah. It, it, it's laughable. So I think it's it's wrong to ever suggest that ah, this is nothing. It's just a fad. Like no, it, it, it'll it'll change things, um, but it changes things for everyone. I don't know. What and are your, that's what are your my thoughts? no. That's my, I, I'm 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 a bit skeptical, mate. Of the the answer to the question is a, is a statement of um, what would be required for the answer to be true in my mind, mm. which is is Chat GPT or some future AI able to find relationships that we currently can't find or identify that will give a higher predictive benefit than we currently have and let me unpack that so i can currently everything that everything and this this god god love these people at this gpt thing um they've basically done so what they've done just so you know um they're doing short-term training when they say they're already beating the s&p 500 it's it's hours old right so stupid like you know we're beating we're beating the market over a tiny 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 bit of time frame okay fine so that's that's what they're doing right so know that know that um frankly that actually might be it might be better for short-term traders and, and long-term investors, frankly, because maybe it can produce this stuff more quickly. Maybe time is of the essence there. Um, but they say uh, it analyzed, GPT analyzed recent stock news articles and gave each individual stock a sentiment score. So how much investors care about it? Do what you want with that. 
We then took the top 100 and married those with their financial statements. So they started, by the way, with sentiment, not with, with fundamentals, mm-hmm. um, by using the prompt below. Uh, we, by doing this, we ensure, God, I love them, ChatGPT understood both the long-term financial positions and the short-term sentiment of the stocks. And again, they're saying, but by the way, we beat the market in minutes, so do what you want with it. Anyway, um, what I... It's a new form of factor investing. Right, and that's, and that's what I guess I want to make the point is, you know, I, computers haven't rendered long-term investors redundant yet. They haven't rendered value investors redundant yet. They haven't rendered growth investors redundant yet. These things didn't go away because computers are here. And again, that's why, I'm, that's why my answer is not absolute because maybe, yes, at some point you and I are finding different jobs. But for now, at least, it, it's a question of they're telling it what criteria to use, which, you know, it's, it's a screen. And I think that's my, my general... I'm a little bit cooler on an AI, the current AI, than most people are. Not because I'm a troglodyte, but because, to my mind, it's a very, 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 very clever natural language search engine. So it goes out, finds out what's there, and tells you what's out there. It's like, well, cool. Unless there's new ins- genuinely new insights, and at some point maybe there will be, and we end up with open the pod bay doors, Hal. Um, but, you know, yeah. until that point, and I, I'm not, that's, why I'm, that's why my answer is not absolute. Will AI eventually beat individual investors? Maybe, yeah. Um, now, to your point, Ram, at some point, then it evens, just evens up the playing field because there's more yeah. than one AI playing the game. Um, or the same AI giving the same results to the same people, which is also interesting enough in itself. Mm. So where do you find the outperformance once it's gone? It, you know, it can, might, maybe it disappears in seconds. To your point about gradually and suddenly, it, we may wake up one morning and it's like, okay, the market just entirely repriced itself mm. because the computers went bang. And then, okay, so now we're in a different world. But I gotta say, mate, when you're using historical data in the first instance, publicly available historical data, you're telling it what of that data to use and how to how to do it. It's, it's just a, it's just a clever stock screener, and I think this is where the same with GPT in general. I just want I'm no expert. I'm no AI expert. I've had some people, by the way, on Twitter. I've made this sentiment: like, well, but but AI might be able to, or you know, I almost feel sorry for AI that I've hurt its feelings somehow, which is kind of also <laughs> creepy in its own special way. But it's, it's, it's a very good natural language search engine, which is awesome. Like, it's a, it's a really, really cool thing. Yeah, it's you amazing. can write articles. Like, you, you say to Google, you know, Google, write this article. I can't do it. It'll give you all the results that would let you do it for yourself. Mm. So this just synthesizes search results, which is brilliant. Really, really cool. But I don't, and, and again, this is why I get into, you know, arguments with people, on, I try not to, on Twitter. I don't think that's AI the way we kind of expect AI to be. We expect AI to do its own thinking. And I don't think... Personally, tell me what you think. There's necessarily evidence that that's true of AI as we know it now at this point. I think it's just a it's just a very clever search engine. Yeah. Yep. I think so. Um, yeah. I look. You tend to err more on the troglodyte side, <laughs> <laughs> and I tend to err. That's a very kind way of saying. And I yeah, tend yeah. to err on the like. I'm We're going in. to Mars. I just. Yeah, I yeah. just. You know. <laughs> I mean, it's so such true. a weakness of mine. That's I so just true. get oh, so both. carried away yeah, yeah. with technology. Yeah. Like, yeah. so it, I, I think also too, it's what, what's fascinating about it. I think because mm-hmm. I'm not a, I got no degree in computer science, but when very smart people who have been in this field are getting yeah. excited and nervous, it's like, yeah, I totally. That's interesting, and it's that's also- what I'm saying. I'm saying now versus I'm not. I'm not at, at any point saying it won't happen. I'm yep. saying right now, all you're seeing is a, and that's why I, I worry that the average person is getting too excited because, like, look, it can write an article. It's like, yeah, that's really cool, but it's not inventing content. Like, it's yeah. it's taking everything that's known. I, I search. I've said this before. I search for companies with competitive advantages on the ASX just for the fun of it. Every company that came back had one. Why? Because <laughs> somewhere, someone somewhere had written 
Page Incorporated has a competitive advantage. So I was like, well, I guess that's got one. And yeah. Philips Incorporated has got a competitive advantage. Well, I guess it's got one too. And, yeah. and so it's literally every company came back with, it has competitive advantage. Like, you've just, and it's, it's just a reminder. Oh, by the way, I don't, have I told you this one? I'm apparently a Motley Fool co-founder. Have I shared that with you? <laughs> oh, nice. Scott, well, Scott, Scott Phillips, one of the, one of the chat GPT results came back. I, I typed in who is Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. And it came back with, Scott Phillips is a co-founder of The Motley Fool with his brother, Tom Phillips. <laughs> they, they founded the company in America in 1993. Can I tell you, if I would be much, much richer. Uh, also, Tom Gardner was one of the brothers. His brother was David, not Scott Phillips. So uh, chat GPT can also get some stuff wrong. I think it can. I, but um, I guess the other, the other thing <laughs> I'm mindful of with with technology is you there's there's sort of a proof of concept and what we someone discovers or invents you can debate which one it is something yes and we go wow this is really cool we've never been able to do this before (laughs) the use case isn't immediately obvious and it's very natural that people take this technology and they experiment with it and again you look at a lot of i'm reminded very much of the late 90s early noughties with the internet and what we were doing then and also 10 years after that with smartphones what sort of came out and Mm. and and the rest of it and a lot of the projects are dead ends you know they just are but but what you also see is that all that experimentation is really good and you do find things that emerge that genuinely value accretive Mm. and those things tend to be the unexpected things like Huh. Turns out we're using this technology. Yeah, and the, who right. would have thought? I would. Yeah. You know. Again, yeah. it's it, we we thought that the internet was just going to be somewhere where you could read the newspaper, right? And mm-hmm. and 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 it's kind of like a radio or a or a fax machine kind of like that's that's the best we could imagine it, it to be. So mm-hmm. I just feel as though where, where we are at right now is we've got that proof of concept. It's like it's gone from science fiction to imagine having these large language models that can do X, mm-hmm. Y, and Z. Well, actually, we've got it now. And, yeah. and it's early and these are the first versions. And so we know that just, just taking what we've got and refining it is probably going to yield a lot of uh, advantage. Yeah. We'll pick some low-hanging fruit there. <laughs> but then it's out in the wild and people mm. will start tinkering with it. And I, I, I'm just I'm, – there's difference between talking about technologies that m- – imagine what we could do if we get that. Yes. Fusion is a yes. great example, yes. right? Yes. Imagine a fusion. It's always just around the corner and, wow, that would be fantastic. <laughs> Where it's interesting with AI is because AI and fusion, you could sort of, they, you could class very similarly. Yeah, okay. Within the realms of science, certainly possible, yeah, but we're, yeah. just, we're just nowhere near right. it, right? Yeah, exactly. We, and and, and now, now AI is different. It's like, actually, it's gone from, yeah, we think it's theoretically possible to actually we're doing it. And there's different <laughs> yeah. degrees, there's different yeah, degrees yeah. of AI, but, you know, yeah, sort of yeah. in, in, in these models, we've done it. And so now it's just, it's not a question of we have to wait for some big breakthrough to yield the juicy fruit that we can all, we can all feast on. We, we, we are at the optimization and refinement stage, mm, mm, mm. and that is a very different, things are very different there as well. Mm. So I, I am, I am... Uh, yeah, really, really. I, I want to say I was going to say optimistic, but that's not the right word. I guess I'm very, I'm very confident that the the landscape will change quite rapidly over the next ten years. Um, I, I, I've said it before. This is for investors, right? You will not. It's already the case, frankly, particularly in small caps. Mm. You will not be able to attend an analyst briefing or a shareholder briefing without someone talking about AI. It'll be on the news more and more. Just. Just as all these other technologies where it'll go through a hype phase, there'll be all of this 
shenanigans <laughs> um, and, and failure that will emerge mm-hmm. out of that. Mm-hmm. But underneath it all, I think that there will be a, a, a clear, there'll be a bit of signal amongst all that noise where we just sort of see right. this thing mature. We sort of move in and then you, then you, you cross this chasm where things move into the mainstream mm-hmm. and things just get very, very interesting from there. So, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a believer in I the know. tech. You're a believer. I don't, yeah. I'm not saying I'm not. I just, I, I just want to calm some farms about what's currently possible. Oh yeah, we run too far with it. We done. always do. Yeah, and this that's, is why. This is why in any of these kind of whether it's like go back to the steam engine and electricity <laughs> yeah, and fun. the telephone and the TV. There's this. There's this chart. Google it. Called the um, the hype cycle, and you have this breakthrough, and you have some early adopters. And then it leaks out into sort of more of the mainstream. And every, this is what happened with crypto. It happened with, you know, uh, lithium. It happened with a, a bunch of things. And then everyone gets super, 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 super excited for good reasons. Like same with the internet. It's like, wow, this is going to change everything. And it did, mm. just not in the way we thought and not under the timeframes that we expected. And so all the hot money rushes in. Oh, Turns out there's nothing really here, and then it all flows out yeah, again get away. as well. So it's gonna, yeah, you, yeah. you know, that is exactly how this thing is gonna play out. I guarantee it. But I do think underneath it all, there there, there is some legitimacy to it. <laughs> nice. Last question. We've seen in the uh, news today. We're recording this on Wednesday, the seventeenth of May. Some talk about a big proxy firm, a, a business that kind of gets together, and I'm going to be unkind here, um, makes money by telling other people how to vote, uh, which is, I think, always interesting. But um, uh, they, so basically, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're a big firm, you kind of say, well, we don't want to do the work ourselves. Let's ask a proxy advisor. Let's ask someone who's done the research and decided how they think we should vote. And this proxy advisor firm has said they're going to vote against 97 out of the ASX 300 companies if they don't have a clear story, a clear plan to get more uh, women onto corporate boards. JB Hi-Fi and Harvey Norman were the two that came up with the news today. I own shares in Harvey Norman for what it's worth. If they don't, if they don't uh, come up with an, a, a plan that this, this advisor firm believes in, they'll recommend their clients will vote against those directors or the, those boards and try and spill the boards to try and make change. And I'm curious, mate, um, your thoughts on how reasonable, likely appropriate, that is, in this modern world. We've seen bigger and bigger chunks of the vanguards and the Blackrocks of the world with ETFs take larger and larger chunks of this stuff. And I'm just curious as to what role these firms should play in your mind in these sorts of issues, these sorts of changes, even just the role of proxy advisor generally. Is it is it good? Is it bad? Is it, does it matter? depend whether we agree on what they're doing or not? I mean, I can imagine a proxy advisor firm saying something very different and we say, no, that's terrible. And then we like what they say. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. Um, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a principal market structure, whatever level, does it make sense or is it, or is it kind of subjugating the process? Oh, such a great, it's a hard one, right? So take the current example. Am I for more diversity on boards? Yeah, I am. Um, a, I think it's the right thing to do, but B, it actually leads to better outcomes. There's a lot of good evidence yeah. to suggest that when you've got a bunch of wasps on a board, 
white Anglo-Saxon yep. Protestant males. Mm. No diverse. I mean, like they just that we all have the same life experience. They've all got mm. the same, mm. you know, view on like they, they just tends to be very narrow thinking. So diversity, yeah. not just in gender, but in social background and you know all kinds of things, tends to be a very robust thing. So I'm for mm. it because I'm for positive shareholder outcomes. Right. <laughs> right? So it's very but, strongly correlated with better returns. It just is. It just is. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like yeah, we yeah. we you know. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of untapped wisdom out there that we don't take advantage of in, in society by only only listening to middle aged white men. You know, it's a, it's not a great not a great idea. Anyway, um, so in this instance, I'm sort of for it. But you make a really excellent point. At some point, they might be advocating for something I don't agree with. Right. It's kind principle's of a funny thing, right? We all we all like principle when we agree with the thing being being done. Yeah. I, I, I think I think principle is the thing you will stand up and defend even when you don't like. The, the, the you know the way it's being the used. mechanism and that's that's really old it's really old favor uh, really old fashioned these days yeah but you know it's a, there's some freedom of speech and other things like well I don't want to get in the topics themselves but they don't ever like no it's a really important because I, I agree with it but then all of a sudden it's like they're doing that and that's really bad it's principle can't be principle yes. can't be um, subjective right it can't be it can't be occasional or it can't be circumstantial a principle is a principle is a principle and that's, that's why I'm curious as to your thoughts well the, you know it's a similar line for me too there's a bit of talk lately with rent controls and forcing people to Airbnbs yes, to yes, you know, yes. all this kind of stuff and you know my views on property right I, there's, I a, there's a massive problem there it needs to be fixed but I'm against it right I think the mechanism is, is, is sort of flawed I think the analogy here with proxy advisors is the same with lobbyists it's the same kind mm. of thing right so it's yeah, this yeah. we know that collective action well unions right Another, another great example here. We know that collective mm-hmm. action lends weight to a viewpoint. So one shareholder rings you up and says, I think there should be more diversity on the board. Maybe a few people do that independently. But when you gather together people and you organize and you put that forward, it's much, much, much more powerful. Mm-hmm. And so there is probably a role to be said for, for all of that kind of stuff. But at the same time, we've seen how messy and, and, mm-hmm. and what lobbyists can do. And it's, so I've got no real easy answer here, mate. I'm, I'm really struggling to, to mm-hmm. know what they should do. I think in a perfect world, I would say shareholders should just be more informed. And vote that's kind the of way my... that they see see appropriate, but but you've got to be in the real yeah. world, right? And so yes, while yes, yes. while I say that, that's well, that's yes. you know every same with voting in, in elections. I think people should mm-hmm. be much more across indiv- individual policy stances and and make a vote accordingly. Not I always vote team blue or I always vote team red. It's dumb, right? Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think? I. I think probably my, my, my view is actually the way I've kind of phrased the question a little bit and, and how we kind of discussed it since because as we, as we think through the implications, again, it depends, do you believe it? Do you, not, do, you not, do you agree with it? Do you not agree with it? What's the role? You know, as long as they're forces for good, that can be great. But again, if you say it is important that we have collective action and proxy firms are important, they should be able to make changes they think are appropriate because we happen to like the current lot. Uh, you know, if it came down to actually proxy firms are doing X or Y and that's actually bad for my shareholding, then all of a sudden I feel very differently. I, I really, really don't like, mate, can I say, uh, outsourcing the vote to a proxy advisor firm. Mm. I, have no po- I have no problem appointing a proxy if you said, I want to vote this way, I can't be there, you vote on my behalf. That's what proxies are. You, you say yeah. to somebody, Andrew, you're going to the AGM, here's my, here's, my, here's my shareholding details, vote my shares this way, please. And you go, yeah, I'll do that for you, sure, no worries. Mm. And it's going to be done legally and we do that and that's how it works. When it's kind of a story of these really big firms and someone says, I have a really good idea. So for example, and this is, this is the best example um, for me. Proxy firms voted against Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway board because it wasn't independent enough. Because mm. there were too many people there with shareholdings in the business that had been there for too long. Mm. And I'm like, 
You That's people madness. are madness. Yeah. Right? It's complete madness. So you go, okay, well, so then, you know, I don't just, now, do, I don't mind proxy firms, I suppose, in general, but I do wonder about their role being so disconnected from the owners of the business, like owners, not 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 shareholders and, I mean, the same thing, but you know what I mean? Not people who happen to hold the shares for a while or who want to do the X, Y, Z. It's like the, the genuine owners who say, this is important, this works. I don't know that giving proxy firms, I mean, again, that's an example I think they got wrong. I agree with you, by the way, on the gender stuff. They, they absolutely, it's good for businesses, but should the, should the proxy advisors themselves be be directing this stuff? Are they the ki- should they be the kingmakers in mm. corporate Australia? I think the answer is a very clear no for me. Despite the fact I agree with this one, I disagree with others. That's almost the point. I think, as, to, as you said, shareholders being informed and making informed choices is, I think, the very, very best approach. Yeah. Rather than arbitrary, we will do whatever you say, Mr. Proxy Advisor. Yeah. I think that's an, it's an abdication. If, if you want to be a shareholder, you want to be an owner. If you want to be an owner, you want to have an active role at least, at least in those big decisions of deciding who runs the business, who's involved, what they can do for you, how that works. I think that's that's almost you know inherent, almost by definition. And you can do it ad hoc too, where you could just sort of give your proxy under certain conditions. I know there's yeah, been a, totally. I mentioned the ASA before. They've done mm. some good work in sort of mm. at least raising the issue with um, remuneration and those kinds of things before. And so it's great. I mean, it's good. It's good for boards to be held to account more. You're paying your executives way too much. That's not justifiable. There's no diversity there. You know, you've got to do better here, guys. And they they will, I guarantee you this, Harvey Norman and JB Hi-Fi to mention the ones that were in the article, they will listen. They will be, they will be having the next board meeting. They will be absolutely talking about it. They'll they'll make some motion, whether it's tech uh, sort of um, uh, just, just for looks or or not. I'm sure, I am sure you will see someone, I'm sure you will see things move in the right direction as a result Mm -hmm. of that. And so Mm -hmm. it is, it has been an effective course for, for change. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It just, it just depends. You've got to have a lot of trust in the proxy, right? And you've got to have a lot of trust in, in, in that they're going to represent your vote appropriately. Will you vote to come back on Sunday? Don't know. I'm not going to vote, mate. I'm just going to show up. Uh, it's not, <laughs> That's it's not, representative it's democracy for you right there. <laughs> <laughs> it's author- or authoritarian. <laughs> making it happen. There you go. See, you now you know who really runs the place around here. <laughs> uh, I- <laughs> please do join us. Again, there's lots of mailbag questions, please. And then we will answer them next Sunday. But until then, this Sunday. But until then, full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691.